Hello, and welcome to Autism in Color with LaBecky and Siobhan. And we are here with some of our board members, Alvina Johnson, Alicia Adams, and we have some of our parents whom we've interviewed in the past, Miss Renita Saltibus and Miss Centoria Johnson. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Hello. Hello. Thank you. Hello. And today we have a special show where we're going to examine guilt and shame with regard to having a child diagnosed with autism and um, some of the things that our parents have experienced and how they've dealt with it. So again, we want to thank everybody for being here today, taking some time out of your schedules for us. And um, this should be a pretty good show. Well, thank you for that introduction. We want to go ahead and get started. We're calling this show No Shame because there's no shame in our game about our kids who are diagnosed with autism and are living on the spectrum. So with that being said, my name is Lebecky Rowe. My son's name is Christopher. He's 26 years old. And I remember a time when he was first diagnosed. And even before he was diagnosed, you know, you notice that there was this, there's something amiss. And upon getting the diagnosis, what do I do, right? I can't put him back or put him away. So I had to deal with it because everyone knew I had a child. This child was, he was loved before he got here. So I had to roll with the punches and do it. I had to do what I needed to do in order to sustain him as well as myself and my village. And one interesting fact about him is he has a great sense of humor and he's very sarcastic. <laughs> I think he gets that naturally. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> um, and I would like to also say something. He's very um, artistically inclined. He loves music. He can play the guitar. He sings. He's been in performances. So I just wanted to add that interesting fact as well. And he, he plays piano by ear as well. Yes. That young man. And he's and very- his voice is outstanding, sorry. And he sings, that's true. He was made for me, right? So we, we are naturally meshed. He gets me and I get him. He understands my emotions when I'm all over the place. He gets me, calms me down. I think he was supposed to bring me, um, what does it say? Patience. He's taught me patience. <laughs> All right. Miss Saltibus, do you have a story? On that note, on that note, wow. <laughs> um, great, great segue. And I'm kind of start backwards. So I've, I've been told, and I know I am, that I'm not a very patient person. Um, but my aunt, who happens to be my first lady, she said, you know, Nehemiah, he gave Nehemiah to you because he knew what you needed. And she's brought your patience a long way. That being said, I'm not patient with other people outside of her. But anyway, <laughs> um, race segue. So I'm Nehemiah. I'm Renita Saltibus. I'm Nehemiah's mother. Nehemiah is 19 years old. Nehemiah, girl. Yes, I know who he was in the Bible, but uh, the meaning behind the name fit her. And interesting fun fact, Nehemiah, when she's truly, truly just all encompassed by whatever it is at the moment. She's like Rain Man and she will throw facts out that you never even knew. This started with bats, um, even before the whole COVID thing. She knows every species. She just knows everything about them. I can't even break down the knowledge that just flows from her on um, bats. Um, for me, I've never felt shame uh, of Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, I was that parent that wanted to know what was going on. Yes, I saw something was amiss. I, I needed to know what was going on so I could help fight, not even help fight, so I could fight for her to get what she needed to be, to flourish in life. Um, so I've never had a shame moment with her. With yes. me acting out for her, maybe, possibly. Sometimes I own it, but for her, never. Has anyone ever tried to make you feel a way about her? Um, so when she was first diagnosed, her father refused to accept it. Her father's family, they're still kind of, um, like they know she's on the spectrum, 
they're kind of in between, right? And I say that because his their step grandmother, she's a nurse. So you would think she knows, at least in, you know, peripherally about the spectrum. But like in her mind, uh, she's like, oh, she'll grow out of it. Mm. So when they do visit, and now the girl the girls, I have two, they're getting older, so they visit with them without me being present. Um, when they do visit, while I was present, there would be times where I'm like, no, don't, you know, I would stop them and no, don't do, no, she can't, no, don't, no, she gets it, no, don't, kind of um, talking down to her, mm-hmm. which I never allowed uh, for Nehemiah. Um, as I stated last week, I, Nehemiah did not even understand or have knowledge of that she was on the spectrum until uh, we entered high school. And the only reason why, and I say we, because it was both of us doing homework, both of us studying, it was both of us going through it. Um, and the only reason why I let her know, because again, I, I, I treat her and her sister the same. They both get yelled at. They, it's just the exact same. I just know at times I have to tweak with Nehemiah. Why I let her know is because I wanted her to start advocating for herself. She reached that age or in high school now, this is where your first brushes of adulthood, right? So that's why I let her know. So yeah, there's there's been people who tried, but I'm, I'm you know me, Miss Robinson, I'm quick to shut it down. Yes, you are, darling. <laughs> yes, you are. How about you, Miss Johnson? My name is Centoria Johnson. I'm the mother of Christian, or who we call CJ. I haven't had a shame moment um, where CJ's concerned. I've never been ashamed. Um, I was that parent to, as soon as I noticed something, I took it to my doctor who said, oh, he'll grow out of it. Um, but that didn't sit well with me. So I did my research. So when I got the diagnosis, there was no surprise at all, a relief more so. And then, you know, emotions and everything that comes with uh, dealing with it. CJ is his <laughs> interesting fact about him. He's a jokester. Um, he's 10 and he's 5'2". He weighs like 178 pounds. So he's not your average 10 year old, Um, but he is big and loves to laugh, loves to play, loves to to love on you. I have that kid that he's pretty much everybody asks me, is he always just happy? And I was like, yes, uh, I was blessed with a kid that's always laughing and, and, you know, he's not self-harming or anything like that. So that's, yeah, he and he just loves to joke with you in his way. He's nonverbal, but definitely communication is very high with him. And if I can add something about CJ, when you say that he's 178 pounds, I don't want people to think that he's this big, just fat kid. No, he's solid kid. He's solid yeah. weight. Football. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. Football. And not in sports like that he will watch them on tv but he's more into music he right now he's uh he he loves listening cj also teaches himself things which is amazing to me he never wants me to teach him anything we cannot do homework he wants to teach me his homework he doesn't want me to help him he wants to do it all on his own very independent in that sense okay Maybe he'll be a teacher at some point. That would be interesting. I have a question. As you all know, our kids have may have some type of behaviors, right? And so when we're out and about in the in doing our daily activities, sometimes one of these behaviors might come up and people tend to stare or look. How do you all handle those? With me, I'm good at ignoring people. And I don't pay attention to people. I guess that's that Virgo in me. (laughs) I just act straight oblivious to the fact that they're looking at me. You know what I'm saying? And I don't care. Just don't say nothing to me. (laughs) That's kind of, you know, you know, just let me handle this. You know, uh, with CJ being nonverbal, he's normally making noises anyway. So it's kind of like, okay, they know, but it doesn't stop the stairs. Mm-hmm. Has anyone ever said anything to you? Not in a in a negative sense, no. 
Um, but just to bless your heart, you know, bless your heart, we praying for you, that type of stuff, but not in a negative sense, no. Miss Saltabus. <laughs> um, Nehemiah was made for me. So I, I say that because God knows I have a serious temper. He knows. Nehemiah doesn't really, unless she's very um anxious or in a very, very, very uncomfortable situation, she does not uh, display her quirks outside because I am that mother that will act a fool. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And so um, <laughs> she doesn't. Um, when she was younger, I will say she did it more. She she slowed down a bit now that she's older. She did show them more uh, when she was younger, but outside. And when I say outside, I mean outside of, um, you know, like family events and um, events where she's familiar with people. She she doesn't do it. Okay. She what is, doesn't display them. What are some of her quirks? So Nehemiah has a thing for, I'm, I'm looking for, so for Nehemiah, this is just a throw on our couch. This side of of the throw, it feels a way to her. What it feels like, I don't know. So what she'll do is she'll walk around and just feel it. Um, or if it's something satiny or silk, um, if something just feels really good to her, she'll. Okay. So she has a, a very tactile sensibility. That's one. If she, I know she, I, 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 when she's in a, um, she has a, a, a quirk specific for when she's in a very anxious state where it's kind of like, she, you can see her shrink into herself and she kind of stop and she does this. Mm -hmm. it, it, she, she just, that's it for her. When she was younger, um, it was very oral. So I used, to, I spent a lot of money buying her a bunch of gold crosses um, that she would just chew to bits to the point where when she was younger, she had a speech therapist give her basically a chew toy because she would just put everything in her mouth and chew it to nothing. Now those are, those things are far and few between and the chewing has gone to like straws or something. She's in control, I would say, of her quirks. Okay, okay. Does she, is she able to verbalize when she's, when she's anxious now more or? Does she um, do something else to express it? Yeah, she she's she's her mother's child. So <laughs> when she's anxious, it comes out for her through anger. Okay. Um, and I don't think you've ever seen Nehemiah angry. When Nehemiah is angry, it's kind of like a peek into myself. I'm like, oh, that's what it looks like. But it's never. It, it's always towards. It's when she feels like her family is being attacked. Mm-hmm. Or when she's attacked, it's never like with me or her sister. And the verb, it, it, it comes out. I can't even explain it. It just, it's like, wow, this is a completely different person. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I know she's anxious, angry. Mm -hmm. It's there. She's at that point. It's there. Okay. Miss Rowe, how, how about Christopher? What are some of his quirks? Well... Christopher is 6'2", and he's a toe walker. He's been a toe walker from the very beginning. And so that makes him extra taller walking on his toes. And he likes to run back and forth when he's listening to his music. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we're out, I'm like, you can't, you can't run back and forth, Chris. You're a little too big now to be walking, running back and forth with your music on because you know you have people looking i really don't care about people looking but it's just sometimes it can be for his safety because you know when we were living in a time when all the shootings were taking place with police officers you know i was a little concerned given that autism has no look and he likes his hood and he likes his earphones so with that being said i could not allow him to run back and forth I want to take it back to when he was young, right? And we would go out. He had a thing for crying kids. So if <laughs> kids were crying, no matter where we were, he was going to approach. And I was like, yeah. I used to say to him, listen, you can't do that. What would he, he do? What would he do? <laughs> he would go up to the kid and go, shh. 
<laughs> he was over it. Over it. And then he, it, it made him anxious. It gave him anxiety. And he felt like he had to say something. I'm like, kid, you're going to get me in plenty of fights. You can't do this. You know? Well, he said if nobody else was going to say anything. Yeah, but you can't. <laughs> and so, you know, I had to kind of tame that part when we were out. He doesn't do it as much anymore, so he has a better understanding. But still, he'll like, he's like, there's a kid crying over there. And we're going to let that kid cry. We're going <laughs> to let that parent handle that, okay? Right. And then early on, you know, when he was first diagnosed, I remember my stepdaughter said to me, she says, you know, I have a cousin that lives in Florida and her kid was diagnosed with autism and all she does is cry all the time. What, why are you different? And I said to her, I said, I have faith. Mm. And she looked at me. That was it for me. I have faith. So I, I guess that's a good question too. How has faith played, what part has faith played in this journey for everyone? Ms. Johnson? Ooh, um, faith has played the biggest part um, in this journey with CJ. If I didn't have faith, ooh, I have no idea where I would be. Um, because in the beginning, it seemed like it was just me in this by myself. You know, I had my parents, um, but with them being older, I didn't want to put as uh, how I looked at it at the time, my burden on them. Mm -hmm. And I spent many nights crying and praying. And I, I just heard God speak and said, it gets better, you know. And he started placing different people in my life. Um, and I saw, okay, the stages as far as ages. Um, he would bring me someone who's around five or six or somebody who has a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old. And I was like, okay, it, it's getting better. And, you know, the more I was like, okay, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. I got to have faith in that. It got better, you know, and I look at him now and he still has things he has to, you know, progression he has to do, but we are nowhere near where we were. Mm -hmm. And I still have faith that he will talk um, just as much as I have faith that he will eat regular food. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and his sensories will get under control. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my faith is everything. All right. Miss Saltabus? Hmm. Yeah, faith, faith. Yeah, is my all. Um, you know, I have to know that she was given to me for a reason. I have to know, and I do know, that I was chosen as her mother for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, it, it, Nehemiah is not, um, I don't even know how to word this. She's she's not low on the spectrum, for lack of a better term. She is very high functioning, but there's still things that um I needed to guide her on, and I did not cry. I'm kind of opposite of um Miss Johnson in that I cried when she reached her milestones when I was told she couldn't, because um you know like I told her going into her freshman year of high school I said it's me and you in the world it's me and you against the world we are in these trenches together if we stand be both gonna stay up and I mean and do homework and study it's gonna be both of us so the crying for me came in little bits and pieces like I think I was too focused on getting her to where she needs to go to even realize what I was doing in those moments mm -hmm. and it was a lot of praying it was a lot of God, again, you know my temper. You know, I'm like the ultimate mama bear. You know, I have no sense when it comes to my children. So father, just please. And he's kept us. He's kept us. He's He kept us in the valleys and he put us on the highs as well. So, you know, my faith is everything. It's everything as evidenced by her names. So, yeah. 
All right. Miss Rowe, how what part has what other parts has has your faith played? Where where did it fit into all of this? Well, I'll take it back to when I was 13 years old and God told me that I would have a child with special needs. He didn't tell me what the special need would be, but he, he let me know that I would have a kid with special needs. And he allowed me to be free and do all the things I needed to do before he roped me in, right? And so I have this kid who appeared to be typical, and then all of a sudden, things changed. And when things changed, and I found out that he had autism, of course, like everyone else, I became emotional, and I cried, and then I said, okay, now what do I do? So it was back in the 90s, late 90s, and no one really knew what autism was, right? It was new, internet was new, search engines were new, mm -hmm. and you just, you were only able to find bits and pieces about autism. And I remember the therapist who diagnosed him, she said to me, whatever you do, do not let anyone compare him to Rain Man. That stood out for me, mm -hmm. right? And I just knew that I had to pray, right? And ask God for and ask God for guidance and direction. And when I tell you I've gotten all the guidance and direction to this day, it was it's because of my faith and allowing God to lead me in the on, in, in the only way because only he knew, right? Only he knew which way I should go. And you know, I had a village my parents, my friends, everyone stepped in. So there was really no shame in my game. This kid, this was a kid that was expected. This was a kid that was loved before he got here. So everybody just chipped in and jumped in. And I remember my brother saying, just pray to God every night and ask. Him. And that's what I did. And he's guided me thus far. Wow. That's, yeah. Yeah. Um. So has everyone had that? village around them to support them? I know, Ms. Ms. Johnson, you said you have your parents and you said uh, that other people stepped in at other times, right? Other yeah, um, even my sister who was in the military, you know, when she was home, it wasn't a, you need a break, you know, and now that she's retired, she's like the other mom. I have everybody, I mean, nobody, they, Everybody, everybody, my even my work family, everybody loves CJ. CJ hasn't met a stranger yet, <laughs> in the sense that I say, like, everybody who meets him falls in love with him and doesn't mind, you know, helping. I have friends that, you know, don't mind helping. So, yeah, yeah I, have a, I have a big village. And Miss Saltibus? Definitely. Um... My village is my side of the family. Um, their father's side, they have an uncle who's here. And uh, when me and their father divorced, he kind of stepped in and played the father role for them. And, you know, just getting them on the weekends and doing, thing, and doing things with them and being that male presence that they need as, you know, being young girls. Um, but his parents moved back to St. Lucia. So it's just been uh, my family, really. Okay. And your church family? My church family, but they're my family. 90% of the church is my family. So, and, you know, by marriage or by, you know, blood. It's so, we're just family. Yeah. Alvina, you had your hand up? Yes, I have a question. Um, I saw that Becky had her hand up too, so thank you for letting me go first. Um, uh, since we're talking about, you know, the whole show is about no shame, and you guys spoke of your experience with, you know, shame in different forms. Have did your kids, you know, did Nehemiah or, or Miss Johnson, your son, um, did he, did they have they noticed? Um, anything when you guys are out, like if they're doing a behavior, have they noticed others looking at them or have they noticed uh, maybe uh, possibly, you know, 
I know it's probably not shame. They don't recognize it as shame, but did they recognize anything if there was an event that happened for them um, through their, uh, their, you know, the course of their um, going to school and all of that? Nehemiah was aware, again, especially in high school, but Nehemiah is very much like, you know, if you don't touch her, she don't care. It goes right over her head. She doesn't care what people think about her. For instance, um, I did share, you know, last week she grows a mustache and I want to keep the mustache. I mean, the beard, sorry. Not, well, she does grow a mustache, but she grows a beard. I want to keep it down because I don't want someone to say something wrong to her that will land me in jail. But for Nehemiah, she's like, I don't care. Leave it alone. Who cares what they think? Like she lets it just go over her head. So I can't even say if she's ever felt shame or, uh, you know, different or, and if she has, she's never expressed it. Okay, great. What about you, Mrs. Johnson? Um, with CJ, I don't think he really notices. Um, CJ tries to block out crowds of people. Um, he focuses on electronics or what have you, but I don't even think he notices. Um, with the school that he goes to, they make sure the kids are incorporated in everything that special like autistic kids. They make sure they buddy them up and everything like that. So it's not, you won't have the bullying and the things like that. And that's kind of why I moved here. So he, he has no idea. And for me, I don't think Christopher cares about outside people. But for me, if I was to tell him that his elbows are ashy or his ankles are ashy, I am going to catch it. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> or if you catch him sleeping, if you catch him napping, you don't, don't tell him he was having a nap. Don't tell him he was sleeping. He's going to give me the business. No doubt. I have a question. How have, and I know Chris is out of school. Nehemiah graduated with last year and mm -hmm. um, CJ is still in school. How did, Peers, I know um, Miss Miss Johnson. You said you talked about um, buddying them up and, and things like that. How did peers respond to your children, and how did your children respond to peers? With CJ, um, normally he gravitates towards the older kids um, because he has older cousins, and he's just the same size as they are. So. Um, <laughs> In that sense, when it comes to his peers, they're mostly smaller than him. So he takes on like this big brother role. And which is a good thing it's, and not a good thing sometimes too. It's a good thing because like open house was last week when they went back to school. And you can, hey CJ, hey CJ, they fist bumping and you know, everything and it, he wants to be independent like all the rest of the kids. He doesn't want the teacher to walk by, beside him, you know, taking him to class. He wants to do everything by himself because he see all these other kids walking around by themselves. Nobody else has anybody by them. Why does he? Um, so it helps him in his independence um, with his peers. But at the same time, this is a quirk of his. He does not like people to scold kids. He will... <laughs> As it, Ms. Anita, you say your temper. He has a temper when it comes to seeing someone busting at a kid. And he will run up on an adult in a heartbeat if he feels like that kid is in danger. And I have to stop it if I see it. Because, uh, you know, he, I'm like, okay, I don't want nobody saying that to him. Then they're going to have to take me out of character. But that's other than that, he, he, if they're smaller than him, he takes on a big brother role. If, you know, older kids he gravitates to, he likes to joke with them. He loves this thing where he'll stick his leg out and try to trip you up. Stuff like that. He, how do they respond? To, well, you said they fist bump and stuff like that. Yeah, they, they laugh. They, you know, he has all my nephew friends like him. They love him. You know, he mess with them. And and it's funny because you like you wouldn't think that with a nonverbal kid, but he's very personable. How, how does he? How does he? Uh, how does he communicate? Um, several ways, um, depending on the person. Um, he will he'll do 
he has a communication device that he will use. Um, he will sometimes play videos that says little things that he wants you to hear. Um, he'll do that, but for the most part, he signs, especially at home. And he will teach you sign language if he don't think you know it. Good so um, he's been going to ABA for like past month now, and he's actually teaching his ABA therapist sign language. Okay, so he's a natural teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just part of him and what he does. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Ms. Saltabas, how, how did the kids uh, respond to Nehemiah, and how does Nehemiah respond to them? Um, in elementary school, they kind of uh, shied away from her. That was because Nehemiah was just very um, overly touching. You know, she rung up to other kids and um, picked them up and hugging them. Not that they were smaller than her, but that's what she would do. Um, middle school was, you know, a blur, really. High school, Nehemiah, she had friends she would talk to. She had friends outside of you know, um, her IEP settings and she has friends within. Um, And for the most part, they treated her very well, except for one um, who thought Nehemiah was a punk and Nehemiah had to let her know. But um, other than that, Nehemiah didn't have um, much issues. She did have one bullying issue in elementary school. um, But outside of that, yeah, she, they, she interacted very well with everyone. Becky? Chris's experience throughout school was great, except when he got to high school, he was bullied. And so like everyone else here, I had to step outside of character. Or maybe it's in character for me. I don't know, but I had to, <laughs> but I had to, um, I had to handle that situation. I tried to handle it the right way. And it was looked upon because it was a female who was being the bully. It's like, how can a female bully a a guy? So I tried to handle handle it through the administration and it wasn't, it wasn't handled in a way that I would would have liked. So therefore I had to take matters into my own hands. And what did that look like? Well, I just had to speak to the bully. You was I had a conversation with the bully. You you was beating up on the kids? No, not at all. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to get kicked out of the school. I didn't want to get kicked off the school grounds for the duration of the time that he had left in high school. So no, I did not put my hands on him. Okay. Um, Alicia, I I know that you've worked with, um, you work with children who have special needs, autism, and and different types of um, abilities. What types of things have you seen um, in school, I guess, maybe that would be around shame and how how were they handled? Well, for me, this summer, I taught um, summer school, and I wasn't aware that the district that I work for, they now have um, combined students with um, Down syndrome and autism in one classroom, which I thought was a bit much. So I wasn't aware of that um, as far as shame. The, the students that I worked with this summer, I really didn't experience, um, you know, the, the other or the gen population mistreating the students or whatever. They always included our, our kids in, in, special, in everything specials. <clears throat> um, so I really, my, like I was telling Lebecky, I was just so surprised that the school system has now combined all of those different types of special needs in one environment, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think that um, as an educator that the student is actually getting what they need from mm-hmm. like two adults in a classroom. How many kids um, are in the classroom? So we had <clears throat> we had eight 
And that was a bit much for me. And I'm experienced. I've been in EC for years. Um, and then I also had a district teacher from downtown that was the teacher and I was the TA. With that type of setting, I think they may need like a PNA um, because I had one student who required changing twenty needs. And I just think two adults would not give that classroom setting everything that they that they need. Okay. It, it was it was very it wasn't a great experience eye opening. And I really would like to kind of advocate more because I feel as though like that type of setting, I would say they need at least four adults in order for them to do the toiletry needs, the IEP goals because of the vast you know, um, needs for the students. The different needs that the students have. Yes. Okay. Does the administration ask about, you know, had, did they do a follow-up? I'm assuming you were, you were in the classroom over the summer. Right. And not, not remote teaching. Correct. Okay. So, so, so the, the school that I worked at, that's how it is during the school year. So they had one teacher and one TA and the, the TA, she said it was exhausting. I was like, I don't know if I could do this for the whole year. I mean, I really couldn't. They just, I mean, they just need more help. So I don't know what can be done, but they definitely need more help in that, in that type of situation. Okay. Wow. Does anyone else have anything that they would like to share? Okay. Our topic today is no shame. And I want to come back to that. And I want to ask you, what things have you incorporated for your kid or what things have you allowed them to do because you know their capabilities and there's no shame in your game. And for other parents who have kids who may be newly diagnosed or diagnosed on the spectrum and they are afraid, what what would you tell them? Ms. Johnson, if you can go first. Okay. Um, I know I know a couple people who have called me personally and wanting to know about uh, autism and have questions because they know someone who's ashamed um, in denial and um, of people saying things when they take their kids out. Um, and I try to explain to them, you know, CJ's nonverbal, but he's the <laughs> loudest nonverbal child you ever want to meet in your life. Um, he's constantly making noise. And that I think it bothers some people. Um, his voice is very keen. So anywhere that we go, you're gonna hear him. You're gonna know. And if if you're an autism parent, you you know that noise <laughs> when right. you hear it. So it doesn't bother us, but it does bother other people. And you get the looks and the stares. So I'm like, take them wherever. You know, CJ loves shopping. I don't like it because he likes to put stuff in the buggy. But I allow him to go out and I allow him to make as much noise as he wants. You know, um, CJ is also bottle dependent, as big as he is. Uh, It's been a slow, very process with him, sensory, oral things. So... He asked me for his bottle. Guess what? He gets it. And I'm not ashamed that my 10-year-old is that big and he has a bottle. Just like I'm not ashamed that my 10-year-old is not potty trained because nobody knows what I deal with when it comes to his sensory issues. And it, you know, I and and, and his progress. So if you're not here. And you're not going to therapy with us, and you're not going to the doctor with me. You know, there's it's nothing for you to be ashamed about. So I try to at least encourage if I can, especially and I see it a lot in young mothers, um, young black mothers too, when they have kids, they're ashamed because of that stigma in our community where it's something wrong with them. And I don't like when people say something wrong with my kid. There's nothing wrong with them. They just different, but ain't nothing wrong with them, you know? And, and I'm like, don't be ashamed. 
you know, if he's crying out in public and you feel like you can't take him anywhere, I say either he's probably overstimulated. Get some headphones, anything. And, you know, and I try to give little tips to help out. I'm like, get him diagnosed. You know, autism ain't the worst thing in the world. Trust. Is it hard? Yes. But it's not the worst thing in the world. And you can get through it and it does get better. So that's, I try to encourage when I do run across, when someone calls me and asks me to talk to somebody or give them a idea of anything that I could do. Thank you for that. Miss Saltabus? When Nehemiah was first diagnosed, you know, we had those people again, oh, she'll grow out of it, this, that third, didn't understand it. Uh, my father's side of the family, they, they really just, didn't get it, but I made it. I made it a point for myself to, for her, to um, give her the tools that I thought she needed to be successful in life. I fought very hard for her in school, and through that fighting, other parents kind of gravitated towards me, to the point where I actually advocated for a few students and actually had them graduate on time, um, or got them to graduate on time. I don't claim to know it all. So when people ask me about my experience, I can only give them my experience from what I've gone through with Nehemiah and guide them the way I was guided uh, with Nehemiah earlier on when she was newly diagnosed. As far as their feelings towards it for their child, I can't guide on that. I can't even offer anything because I say, listen, I'm hard on both of my girls equally. They both get it. They both know you better not bring nothing lower than to be in this house. So they both catch it. But then what people don't understand, what, you know, the, the case managers and didn't get, it was like, I love on my children harder. Y'all see the toughness because I have to be, but I love on them harder. So I can't even guide a parent to say, don't feel ashamed or not. I, I think that, that, that has to come from within them. And yes, with the, with the stigma being attached in our community, with those, you know, as they say, touched, don't like that term, but that's what it is said, they say, you know, I think that, 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 that has to come through education and it, it's going to take a while. So I can't even tell another parent how to love on your child if they're ever diagnosed with this. I love my child because she is mine. Outside of being on the spectrum, outside of, I carried her. I loved her. So by by virtue of that, I fought for the best for her. Thank you for that. Thank you for that perspective. Becky? Well, this is LeBecky. And the diagnosis of autism is not a death sentence. That's what I'll say. What you do to guide your child is totally up to you. But there are resources. There, there is help. There is other people in your circle who know what to do. Do not look at it as if now I have to hide my child. You do not have to hide your child. Because in the African-American community, we like to say, we may use, oh, they're special. Oh, they, they have, I don't even want to use the word retardation. Because that's a word that's widely used in our community when there are so many other diagnoses out there besides retardation. Because we have ADHD. We have ADD, we have autism, we have mental retardation, and everything presents differently. And so until you get a diagnosis as to what it is that your child has, you are denying your child and you are denying yourself the ability to help that child. Remember, it's not about you, it's about that kid, right? And so when I got the diagnosis of autism, I did what I had to do because my child is just like any other typical kid out there. And I wanna say that we all have something. 
regardless of what it might be. And if you are a parent out there with a kid with autism, get help. Because I did. And I had to learn everything about autism that I need to know. For in order for me to help my son. And I used to tell him, you do your part and I'll do my part. But we're in this together. And I want to say, his dad, my ex-husband, plays a vital part in his life. He loves his dad and his dad loves him. They have a special bond just as I have a special bond with him. So I would never deny that his dad, I, I will never deny that his dad is involved in his life and he has been from the very beginning. And for me, I never denied my kid's ability to do whatever it is he wanted to do. If he wanted to sing, I gave him that. If he wanted to perform in plays, I gave him that. He wants to buy books so he can learn how to communicate. I gave him that. So there's nothing that I've denied him because we don't know what our kids are capable of until we try. If you don't try, you don't know. It's the bottom line. So don't deny your kid because you yourself are living in denial. And, and I want to say something else. You have, you have persons in these great professions, teachers, social workers, and doctors, and their kids have autism, and they are denying their kids the help that they need because they themselves are in denial about what it is that their kid has. Shame on you. And the, the fact is that shame costs. And unfortunately, shame costs our children when, you know, when we deny, when we are in a state of denial, whatever, about whatever is going on with them. If you recognize that something is not um, going in the way that it typically does, then get them checked out so that they can get all that they need. Because the longer you wait, that's time and uh, talent that can be lost as a result of it. So give them, we all want the best for our kids and we wanna give them the best opportunity that they have in order to grow and develop. And the best way to do that is to be attuned to what's going on with them and to seek out whatever services might be necessary for them. Because in the end, your kid is looking to you for help. Absolutely. Does anybody else have anything they want to say before we close out today? I do. Um, just to reiterate that about the shame. Um, something that I realized, I wasn't ashamed, but I was going through the emotions at the beginning of the, the journey. And something that God brought to my attention was... When I was pregnant, you know, you pray for a healthy baby. And I got that. But I also prayed that, Lord, you know, I want him to be good at math because I wasn't. And to be, you know, love music, all these, these things. And when I was going through it, I'm like, oh, my God, my kid got autism. You know, all the dreams that you have kind of diminished when you're going through those emotional stages uh, in the beginning. And one day he just said, everything that you asked for, I gave it to you. And it made me look at my, it made me look at CJ in another way. He is good at mathematics. He loves music. Everything that I asked and prayed God for is in my child. So if he had to have autism in order to be all of those things, that is nothing to be ashamed about. That is so much more to go get them the keys to unlock all that greatness. 
so they can flourish and be who they who God intended them to be. Absolutely. Thank you for that perspective. I love that. Yes. I love that. Ladies, anyone else? Thank you for guys for letting me be a part. Awesome conversation. And I also want to thank you for sharing your stories and um, and your insight. It, these 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 stories are extremely important. Extremely important. All right. So again, we'd like to thank everybody. Uh, Lebecky Rose, Centoria Johnson, Alicia Adams, Renita Saltibus, and Alvina Johnson. And there's me, Siobhan Robinson of Autism in Color. We have wrapped up yet another incredible episode. And I hope that this is useful and inspiring and helpful to someone that you know, and maybe even you and your families. Thank you. businesses, independent artists, and nonprofits. If you have a product, service, or music that the community absolutely needs to know about, contact us. You can reach us at autismvibesradio at gmail.com. That's A-U-T-I-S-M-V-I-B-E-S-R-A-D-I-O at gmail.com. You can also call us at 704 704- 325-9706. That's 704-325-9706. Call us and let's put your business in the streets.